Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 14th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin, and joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good morning, sir. All right, another uh, Saturday morning Kudzu Vine. Um, another exciting opportunity because because we're going early, we're going to have our guest come in for the second time from Kiev, Ukraine, Joe Lindsley. And uh, Joe's going to tell us about the situation in Ukraine. We may talk about some other diplomatic um, situations, particularly regarding what happened last uh, week in Israel and, and how that could impact things. And also maybe where, you know, the political discussion that we're going to have for a lot of the show with the Speaker of the House, how that could impact things. So um, going to be a good discussion with Joe here in a bit. But until then, we've got a lot of things to discuss. And, and, of course, let's talk, since we know a little more than we did last week, about the situation in Israel. And, and Tim, I'm just going to start off with this. The more you learn, the worse it gets. The casualty number has gone up exponentially. The um, way in which some of the casualties were taken, the age of some of the casualties, the things that maybe Hamas wanted to do and didn't get to do, with targeting schools and youth centers. Um, the news is just really, really grim out of Israel, correct? Oh, yeah, and it, it, it's been really sad to see some of these uh, videos of, uh, you know, dead children, uh, babies. Uh, they, they, Hamas took some videos themselves for propaganda purposes. Uh, the looks of terror on the faces of some of these hostages as they were taken away. Uh, videos of Hamas just shooting at random uh, everywhere into cars, uh, shooting people as they ran away. Uh, one guy walked down... Uh, a row of um, outdoor public toilets, uh, temporary toilets, uh, and just shot through the doors of all of them and shot the people inside that were trying to hide it. Uh, and, and, of course, as it's gone on this week, the attention has turned now to Gaza and you're just seeing explosion after explosion, cars on fire, buildings, multi-story buildings collapsing, hospitals overwhelmed. This is the face of uh, war now, and it, it, it it's bad. I mean, a terrorist organization attacked Israel and... Uh, this means an invasion of Gaza, and that takes on a a whole new line of thinking that we have to muddle through. 
Most definitely. Catherine, um, welcome into the show. Thank you. Sorry I'm late. Yeah, well, I wasn't even going to make a point of it. Um, but, but now getting back to, to, to sadder matters, uh, you know, I think I told at the top of the show how the more we learn, the more tragic this situation gets. Um, I think I heard a stat that this was the log, largest life, uh, single, you know, incident or day of Jewish loss of life since the Holocaust. Um, and this is a place where Tim mentioned there's been wars throughout that 1948 to present period, but this was so much more, um, you know, fatal and how many people uh, died. And, of course, these were not soldiers all. These were, you know, civilians, children. Um, just share your thoughts quickly on, uh, you know, the situation now that we know a week more worth of information. It's just heartbreaking, like I said last week. Um you know, Tim was talking about some of the visuals we've seen, and it's, uh, I mean, that's really all I can say is that it's heartbreaking to see what 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 humans can do to each other. And uh, I just hope it's over soon. And uh, my heart goes out to all the all the loss, and it's, it's hard to even talk about it. Yeah, I actually watched a video talking about uh, this period, you know, kind of what's at the root of um, really, I guess, more of a longer-term Israel-Palestine conflict, but they do mention Hamas, and I learned more of that video from, um, you know, how what Hamas is and how they developed taking over the PLO. But there was one thing that really struck me back in 1979, how the peace agreement that Jimmy Carter brokered between um, Egypt and Israel, and I think it involved some other countries, and it involved the people, the Palestinian people there too, how it really negotiated this huge piece of land peacefully. And I thought, my goodness, how amazing, although the thing that saddens you is 99-year-old Jimmy Carter is really not on the world stage the way he was um, back when he was president in 1979, who's going to be that person once? Because we know there is going to be a hot war period once that ends. How do we return to some sense of normalcy where people can, you know, go about festivals? And, you know, we have people traveling in, um, from America. Many Americans actually lost their lives, and, and some were, you know, kidnapped and may still be detained. But interestingly enough, um, I sense about the, the football player's family from Detroit, but a state senator um, from Georgia, Russ Goodman, his family was in Israel while all this happened. Um, but he's made it back safely. So there's a local Georgia political tie. That's how much this thing reaches out. Um, but we know there's going to be more to this, and, and maybe one day we get a more of an expert on the Middle East to come in and tell us more because sadly – this is not going to be a story that goes away quickly um, because how no. devastating, you know, last week was. But mm-hmm. seemingly a story yeah. that should go away. But Tim, do you want to say something before we move on? I, 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 no, yeah. no, I was, I was just pretty much uh, mulling and looking at these figures and things that are coming down the pike, and it's, it, it really is going to get a lot worse, and casualties are going to go much higher, and... Uh, 
I was I was going to make one point. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a he is a, 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 a singer, and he has been going in recent years with a tour group uh, to Israel uh, once a year. And uh, I didn't realize the number of Americans that are actually over there at any one time. I, I heard earlier this week that it was estimated there were like 100,000 Americans there. Thousands of people fly in and out of there every day. And uh, I imagine it's just a logistical nightmare now trying to get all of those people out of there. There's like 500 people in Gaza that thankfully they did reach a deal this morning to get them out through uh uh Egypt but but no wonder American lives were lost over there this week and that's so far around 30 of them so uh it's not surprising that even somebody from Georgia <laughs> was there so Oh, yeah. Um, just this past summer, one of my uh, best friends that I taught with and coached with for nearly 20 years, he and his family went to Israel, and he was telling us how great it was and trying to say everybody ought to go, and, and everybody should go when everything gets calmed back down um, if you, you know, um, want to go there. But obviously that's put off for quite a time yeah. Um, yeah. based on what's happening. Well, let's let's move on to, like I was trying to say, uh, an, an issue that should be resolved rather quickly, really an issue that if the Republicans could get their you know, ducks in a row, they wouldn't even have brought up. But we are now in double figures of days. I don't know if it's day 10, 11, somewhere, because I knew it was nine a few days ago. We are now in double figure days of the U.S. House of Representatives being without a speaker. Um Catherine, before I go through the timeline of this thing, how ridiculous is this that a party can have, you know, a majority, not a plurality, a majority, and they can't form essentially a government? It's ridiculous. It's it's uh, it's just ridiculous that 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 we. I mean, we can't function. I, I'm I'm I'm. I'm speechless about it. I really can't like I can't form uh sentences to express my frustration and um annoyance with this whole thing. All the things that we have going on in this country and this is where we are with this Republican party. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, harkening back to our last topic, they say that uh, uh, Israel formed an emergency coalition government. The Republicans can't even form an emergency coalition party um, in the House of Representatives. Um, it, it's so bad. Well, kind of let me go through. I, I'm going to miss so many things because there's so many rumors out there. But, um, you know, at one point we heard that Kevin McCarthy during this interim period when um, the uh, – I've forgotten it – Patrick McHenry from – um, North Carolina, you know, gaveled the House not in session for a period of days. That he may try to make a comeback. He squashed that. Then two candidates emerged. Um, I think at some point Donald Trump, they were trying to say they were gonna, a few people were going to nominate him. Um, he, he ended up endorsing Jim Jordan, and Jim Jordan ran, and um, Steve Scalise ran. And they had a meeting, and Steve Scalise won 113 to 99. Three of those votes were 
delegates from territories, not um, actual House representatives. So it was really, I guess, 110.99, but still an 11 vote margin. And I remember last week when Tim and JJ both said, Steve Scalise is going to win this thing. I thought, you know, I guess they're right. Because the Republicans, I assumed they would look at this like a primary. Whoever won the primary, it'd be kind of nice and clean. And they would go into the conference and, you know, most would vote for Steve Scalise and they'd have a speaker. And it, it would kind of be logical for the Republicans for the first time in a while. But seemingly, even though he had a 11 vote margin, in this con- this private conference meeting in which they all had to turn in their cell phones, we come to find out that he's like, I, you'll never get the votes. And Jim Jordan, who got 99 votes, became the candidate. And then they met on him, and he actually, in the interim, Austin Scott, one-time guest of the show, um, was going to run. I think Jim Jordan beat him – a hundred and and help me the math like 155 votes to 80, and, and Austin Scott apparently had been running off of like an hour and a half. He just announced to basically give a Jim Jordan alternative, so Jim Jordan wins this. But then they can't go into have the House vote because it looks like if they have the House vote, there's still probably at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 holdouts that are saying they will not vote for Jim Jordan under any circumstances, and he can only afford, like, four or five holdouts. And then one final point before I take to get more uh, insight from Tim, Jim Jordan is certainly the kind of candidate that I cannot imagine having any Democratic crossover support. Tim, what are your thoughts on what's unveiled throughout this week? Yeah, there were actually – two votes on Thursday. Uh, The first one, uh, Jordan beat Scott 124 to 81. Then he got 155 votes uh, on the next one. As you said, we were talking about Scalise. He just suddenly announced Wednesday night, well, folks, I can't get the vote, so I'm dropping out. Uh, I keep waiting for Kevin McCarthy to say, hey, how about me again? Why not, you know? (laughs) <laughs> uh, if, if McCarthy could hold what he uh, what he was uh, holding when uh, he was removed, he would be within just a little handful of votes of uh, having enough right now with two openings in the House, I believe it is. They uh, need 217 votes. You're right, Jordan is not going to get them. He's too uh, divisive. Uh you know, too controversial, and and those people that are saying I'm not going to vote for him under any circumstances, they mean it. They're not going to vote for him under any circumstances. You know, I was thinking, David, that uh, Bush 41 appointed Dick Cheney Secretary of Defense back, in, you know, when, when he was president, and probably the listeners are thinking, what the devil is Tim talking about? What I'm talking about is that gave an opening in the House leadership for a young fellow by the name of Newt Gingrich to move up. And you put and and you know, you uh campaigned against Gingrich. You know how he is and the type of person that he is. He was the guy that started saying, Don't call your opponents wrong, call them weak, call them sick. All this mess started in that party with him. 
the scorched earth stuff has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and and really came to fruition under Trump. I don't know what they're going to do. They seem to have no candidate that can get 217 votes. And how are they going to conduct legislative business? The House is at standstill. The Senate can't do nothing without the House on spending. What are they going to do, guys? I, you, you know that the, the option that actually gets a speaker, um, and I highly doubt it's, you know, it would be Hakeem Jeffries. He's probably going to be speaker at some no, point, probably in the near future. But it ain't gonna be it ain't gonna be him. But the secret to actually get a speaker of the house and get a functioning government is for some of the Republicans to work with probably most, if not all, of the Democrats. Correct, Catherine? Yeah, but that's not gonna happen. I mean, well, that, I don't think it is. if that happens, then they're gonna completely lose uh, support from the base when they go to run again. Yeah. Well, but but here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing is is one there's the the Patrick McHenry scenario, McHenry scenario where they empower him 15 days at a time, and the Democrats get some say on some legislative bills at least to be brought for the House to vote on. Here's what it's going to be. It's going to be some scenario either that, or it's going to have to be um, the the Republicans that are more moderate. So like most, and I see. Rachel Bittkoffer, she calls them the Biden 18. There's there's 18 Republicans that um, represent districts that voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump in 2020. Those members, basically, they say, look, Democrats pick any one of us, any one of the most moderate, you know, dozen members to be speaker. Enough, it would have to be enough of the Democrats, because I do, I do think you're going to get a point where some of the Democrats are going to become not behave certainly like Matt Gates and people like that, but but are not going to continue to be so disciplined as they are right now. But most of them will be because the Democratic Party is far more disciplined on a legislative level than the Republican Party right now. And enough of the Republicans, and they form a government. Probably another thing that comes in with this deal is some of the committees go 50-50. Certain bills that they know that can pass because a majority of Democrats believe in them, a decent number of Republicans believe in them, and the majority of the American people believe in whatever bill it is, those bills get to come up because before they were getting crushed by Kevin McCarthy and other right-wingers that didn't want to see said pieces of legislation happen. Tim, what do you think about the plausibility of that scenario? I, I don't. I, I'd have to see it to believe it. Now, ninety percent of that Republican caucus, if you know, let's just go with the Biden eighteen. That leaves two hundred and four Republicans, most of whom would probably uh, rather rather commit, you know, suicide almost than than to work with the Democrats on anything, the whole base of the party all over the country would just rise up mm-hmm. in, in total indignation if that was to happen. You know, the Democrats are the enemy. They're the enemy of America. No, we're not going to do that. And I just don't see how how it could uh, – I don't, I don't see how that 
that that could happen a power sharing uh, arrangement. That's not the way the house functions at all right now. We're talking about two sides of the aisle where you're considered uh, a traitor if you're even friendly with somebody on the other side. I ain't talking about legislation, just being friendly with them. You remember when we went to see Cokie Roberts, uh, David, and she talked about how congressmen used to get along so well and, and, and social, and they don't do any of that now. How could this work? I don't think it can. I don't either. Well, well, it, it was funny, and I'm going to come to Catherine here in a second. Is Tim, uh, you mentioned Cokie Roberts saying that. Well, there's a guy that talks about olden times and, and how people that across the political divide would get together. He now occupies the White House. Uh, so it's right. not that long ago that um, you, you know people are still in government that can remember those times. But it's funny, Tim, you mentioned you said, that that's not the way the house functions. Did you hear the irony in that statement? That's not yeah. the way the house functions. <laughs> They're not functioning. Hey, Captain, give that's me your thoughts on that last uh, proposal. I, I just don't see how. I don't think. I mean, I th- I think what it would it would have to be. Like Tim said, I'd have to see how what it what it actually would look like, but. Don't see uh, Republican uh, representatives, even if they are the Biden eighteen or whatever, um, basically forfeiting their their um, positions because they can't get re- they won't. Many of them would not get reelected uh, if they if they did this. I just don't see them doing that, even for the good of the country. Yeah, and, and we're about to have our guest on here in a minute, I, I believe. Um, I haven't done my producer duties. Uh, that's why I pulled in so quick. In fact, here we go for the second time, seven times on the way. What an exciting opportunity to have uh, straight from Ukraine, Mr. Joe Lins- Lindsley again. Welcome, Joe. Uh, good afternoon. Actually, good evening from here in uh, the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, where I just arrived uh, from Lviv. Wow. Uh, something else, and so it's, it's a little late afternoon for you. Well, let's kind of start off since, um, you know, we kind of follow it. I think the average person follows the, the uh, war in Ukraine a little bit, but we, we know it's your your business. You're following it all the time because you're living there, and then also you're the probably number one embedded reporter in America um, over there. Kind of give us what's been going on the past roughly six months, and, of course, if something big happens seven or eight months, Add that into our timeline. Well, I say, I mean, we are. It's uh, uh, I, I've been here every single moment of Russia's full-scale invasion. Uh, I, I got caught here during the pandemic, and when Russia invaded, um, as a journalist, I said I need to be here to share the stories uh, of this country. And uh, you know, and by the way, I mean, it's every day. I, you know, even though it's often quite terrifying, uh, I'm surrounded by such inspiring people. Uh, with such a sense of purpose, and we have been uh, in a strange period of, of calm uh, in most Ukrainian cities for the past several weeks. Uh, the fighting is extremely intense uh, at the front lines, uh, as it has been throughout the counteroffensive uh, since early summer, uh, especially right now in Donbass, uh, outside of the city of Donetsk, uh, which the Russians have occupied since 2018. 
uh, the fighting is intense. Uh, but there have not been, uh, you know, it was, uh, October 10th, one year ago, was when Russia started their uh, winter-long campaign. Uh, every week they were hitting Ukrainian infrastructure. Uh, almost every week they were sending about 100 missiles uh, to different Ukrainian cities, usually on a Monday morning or Tuesday morning. Uh, and so we were expecting that that would already have started, but it hasn't started yet. Instead, what we've seen, uh, you know, on September, I think it was September 22nd, uh, Ukrainians, uh, in a very bold uh, move, they used the long-range missiles provided by the United Kingdom, the Storm Shadows, and they hit the, uh, the headquarters of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Uh, and they, they, now they, they actually hit the uh, headquarters building itself, and they hit uh, several ships. And, you know, since then, the, the, the Russians have had to move their, uh, uh, their, their ships uh, further away, out, out of the port in Sevastopol and further away. And there's some speculation that uh, Ukrainians really did uh, put a dent in Russia's ability to attack Ukraine uh, from the Black Sea. Uh, and, and so we're kind of waiting to see, because the, obviously the other piece of this is, you know, what's happening in Israel. Uh, you know, there's, there's good evidence that, you know, that I, uh, uh, Russia and Iran are colluding. Uh, and most people here feel that uh, Russia is in some way behind uh, Hamas's attack on Israel. And so I think there's, there, there's a strange, I mean, everyone, if you talk to people in Kiev, where I just arrived today, it's common thing in conversation to say, I mean, it, it's nice. We haven't had missile attacks or, dr- or drone attacks. And, and by the way, those drones come from Iran. Uh, and so people say uh, that they're nervous. You know, the, the longer you go without a major attack, uh, there, there's a sense of uh, foreboding, uh, like something, something bigger is building. Uh, but at the same time, I think there is, a little bit of, of not complacency, but confidence, even in the past two days. Uh, and this has gotten missed, of course, because of the, the headlines about uh, Israel. But in the past two days, uh, Ukrainians have hit, uh, uh, it, it seems uh, that they've hit three Russian ships uh, in the Black Sea. Uh, and so, so this seems to be pretty extraordinary. I will say that uh, a week ago from yesterday, uh, so two Fridays ago, uh, Kharkiv, which is that city 30 miles from Russia, uh, I spent a lot of time there. I, I, I was there most of uh, the past month. But uh, a couple of days after I left, the Russians hit the center of the city. Uh, they, they pounded it. And, and that was quite a shock to everyone because the center of the city had not been hit in a long time. And then just the day before, the Russians with two precision missiles uh, hit um, a village outside of Kharkiv City. Uh, and it was a precise attack on a funeral. It, it was a wake party uh, for the funeral of a soldier at a cafe. And what's sort of notable about that, you know, everyone was uh, uh, shaken, even, you know, throughout the entire country uh, by, by the, you know, I mean, the, uh, the audacity and the, the, the nastiness of attacking a funeral party. No one's surprised by that, but every time it happens, something like that, it, it, it hurts people. And, and, and people were shaken. And then just a few hours later, you know, I woke here to the news. Uh, we're in the same time zone as Israel. And, and so early uh, last Saturday morning, I was receiving uh, frantic text messages from friends in Israel. I spent a lot of time there. I've been both to Palestine and to Israel, uh, and, and, and we were hearing these horrible stories of what had happened, uh, what, was ha- what was unfolding, uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, uh, especially near the, the, the border with Gaza in the Negev Desert. I have friends that were in uh, kibbutzes who, who were under siege. They were in their safe room. And, you know, the, the Israel- my Israeli friends, many of them were saying to me, 
oh, Joe, now, now we know exactly what, you, what everyone in Ukraine has been going through uh, because now it's come to us. Uh, and so there is this sort of great sense of solidarity. Uh, and I think and, and what's interesting is that uh, the big storyline here, you know, th- throughout the world, it's, I mean, it's sort of astonishing for me to see it from here, but we do see, uh, you know, these protests in favor of Hamas in cities around Europe and the U.S. Uh, here there's such solidarity uh, with the Israelis uh, because of, you know, w- what Hamas did last Saturday is what the Russians have been doing so routinely to Ukrainians, and even just two days before uh, in that brutal attack uh, where they wiped out the families who were mourning uh, their loved one who was killed in battle. They killed entire families. They killed almost an entire village. The same uh, methods uh, used by Hamas. And so there is right, right now, as we, you know, a period of strange calm in many Ukrainian cities, uh, people are paying close attention to what's happening in Israel with a great sense of solidarity uh, with the Israeli people. Yes, and most definitely. We may tie that together later with some other questions with um, funding for the two efforts from America and other countries. But I want to ask you another bigger global question. From what I've seen throughout this time, even before you came on the first time since then, if this was like a boxing match, you know, we're in round 12, and if, if Ukraine hadn't won every round, um, they've won the overwhelming majority. And so we're to the point where we're just waiting to know if or when Vladimir Putin will throw in the towel and just say, I, this is not the time, the place that I'm ever going to win. Um, I, I'm losing men in my country at a rapid rate that's going to cause um, real demographic problems uh, for really decades to come because of this effort. But I guess this is more like the old pro wrestling with an I quit match, and it could go on indefinitely unless he's willing to quit. How apt is that analogy, and do you think there's something or some point in which Vladimir Putin um, just says enough and pulls out? Well, you know, that's something we'd all hope for, but I, I think the, I mean, you look at the, you know, look at a map of, you know, I mean, Ukraine is the largest country in Europe, but so tiny compared to Russia. Uh, and, you know, the, the Russian disregard for human life is, you know, for example, by the way, Russia has refused to, condemn Hamas for its attack on Israel. It should be very clear who's on what side. Um, but Russia has uh, the humans to throw at this, you know, as we've seen, uh, th- you know, uh, throughout, you know, throughout all this, with the Battle of Bakhmut and then in the counteroffensive. Uh, they have humans to throw. Uh, they have resources. And, and I, the, 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 I mean, I think almost everyone here agrees, and many, you know, good observers around the world agree, uh, Russia's tactic is, you know, Russia wins by waiting, uh, by, by waiting until the world stops paying attention. Uh, and, 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 and that's a concern of what's happening right now. And, and that's why there is, you know, many people here think that Russia, you know, the timing of Hamas's attack, uh, you know, and uh, Hamas it clearly seems they were uh, supported by, by uh, you know, with outside help. But the timing of their attack is, is in a moment when Ukraine is in a strength. You know, uh, Ukraine, I mean, Ukraine's attacks on the Black Sea fleet have really hindered Russia. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you believe Putin's threats, oh, you know, if you cross this red line, I'm going to go nuclear or do all that. Well, every time those red lines are crossed, uh, we don't see a great response. We actually see a weaker response from Russia. And so the, the United Kingdom providing Ukraine these long-range storm shadow missiles and then giving Ukraine permission to use them as they saw fit, which is something the United States will not do yet, 
Uh, that enabled Ukraine to, I mean, to strike this decisive blow on the Russian Black Sea Fleet headquarters. And I think before that happened, everyone would have thought, oh, well, if you do that, Russia's going to do something really major and nasty. And that was uh, more than a month ago, and, uh, or less than a month ago, but, but you know, several weeks ago. And still we haven't seen some major response. Uh, and if you go back and look at, you know, when it seems that Ukrainians uh, a year before hit, hit the Kerch Bridge, and then two days later, Russia had a major response. We've seen nothing like that. And I think if you look, you know, Russia's abilities uh, p- perhaps are, 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 are quite weakened. Uh, actually, no, not perhaps. For sure. You know, they, they can't do what they set out to do uh, in those first weeks of the full-scale invasion. And so those are the moments when, you know, the world, you know, is an opportunity for Ukraine to say, oh, look, look what we've done with the resources we've been given. Look, look what we can do, and we don't have to be scared of Russia. We can hit their naval headquarters without a major response from them. Now is the time to pour on, uh, you know, to increase support uh, and to put an end to this. And it's so interesting, David, right at that point is, um, is, is, when, is when Hamas attacks Israel. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the world loses focus on Ukraine. And, and, and it's, you know, it is possible to pay attention to both. People here are. People in Israel are. But then you see, for example, like United States Senator Josh Hawley, uh, who, you know, echoing many others, saying, oh, let's divert all resources from Ukraine to Israel. And so I think this is exactly what Russia's hope is and Russia's strategy is to make the world tired uh, of Ukraine and to ignore Ukraine. Because the fact is, I mean, Ukraine is, is much smaller. Ukraine is, uh, as people here often say, and as the Poles often say, great allies of Ukraine, Ukraine sends its diamonds into battle. It is the, it is the best entrepreneurs, the, the most energetic people, uh, you know, the, the great uh, uh, sort of heroes of their families who go and sign up to fight, who go to the front lines. Russia is so often sending its prisoners and the ones it wants to get rid of. And so the longer this goes on, Ukraine is losing its corruption fighters, its best and brightest people. Uh, and, and, so, and that's Russia's hope. So this is, this is why there's heavy concern throughout Ukraine right now that, that, uh, that the world is going to stop paying attention, and that would be a very, very serious blow to Ukraine. Agreed. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Tim, who's going to pass it over to Catherine, and then we'll come back and, and feature one last thing with you, Joe, after Tim and Catherine have their questions. Tim? Sure. Uh, good evening to you, sir. Thank you for being on with us. Um, you've talked a lot this morning about the possibility of a protracted war and we know you've conducted that Ukraine has conducted the war so far pretty much without any air support uh without an air force uh and there's been talk of F16s and different things coming in in the way of air support longer range missiles that sort of thing um could air support turn a protracted war into a quick victory for Ukraine? You know, I think, uh, Tim, that uh, Ukrainians have been saying yes. That well, Two things. You, you need air support to, to make real advances uh, in the counteroffensive uh, in, in Zaporizhia mm-hmm. and Kherson in southern Ukraine. Um, and, and the goal there is to get at least halfway from where they currently are uh, halfway toward the Black Sea uh, from, from the city of Tokmark, uh, from, from which point the Ukrainians could, could inter, uh, disrupt the Russian supply lines uh, to the Crimean Peninsula. 
And, and that, uh, without air support, though, exactly, the Ukrainian, it's very difficult. I mean, it's, it's, it's a suicide mission to, to advance down there. Uh, all, the, the, the one difficulty has also been clearing the landmines. The Russians had many, many months uh, to put landmines uh, uh, there in, 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 uh, at the southern front. And, uh, and this is the other problem is that we, you know, so often the Western support, you know, promised with great fanfare, like such as the Abrams tanks, uh, it arrives too late. You know, the Abrams tanks uh, just arrived here a couple of weeks ago. They were not here during the, the counteroffensive. Uh, and yes, so, uh, you know, we, we hear promises of uh, F-16s. Uh, some of that won't arrive until 2025. Uh, and, and, and so here is, and this is the, the, this is the real question in Washington, uh, for example, after that heinous attack uh, on the funeral party uh, uh, two Thursdays ago, the White House said, oh, we support Ukraine. Uh, and, but they never say, I mean, I, I, I seldom, if ever, do we, see the, do we hear the word victory. Uh, we want victory for Ukraine. We want quick victory for Ukraine. Instead, we hear support. And support means kind of like some kind of like long-time life support, like we're in a hospice, uh, rather than quick victory. And, and, and indeed, and this is the question we have to ask in America, you know, are our leaders and politicians, are they afraid of what might happen if Russia uh, loses? And, and, and when I talk to people, you know, who used to work in the Pentagon and others, you know, there, there is this, they can't imagine a world without a powerful Moscow. And I think the, a similar analogy is, um, you know, the, M- Moscow holds the world hostage with, with its nuclear threats. Don't do this or we'll go, we'll, we'll go nuclear. Uh, and as we see, we, Ukraine has crossed those red lines, and, and, and Russia can't go nuclear. But uh, uh, Hamas is doing the same thing. They're saying, uh, oh, we can attack you, but if you touch us, we're going to make sure that the, our two million Palestinians uh, imprisoned in our city die. And, and so it's this very same um, sort of tactic. And, and, and it does, what it re- is required is, uh, uh, you know, sort of bold uh, leaders who are not timid who say, you know, we have to put an end to this menace. Uh, and so that... That, that's what Ukraine needs. It's a combination of, uh, well, first, just a willingness to say we want victory, which means uh, Moscow leaves, you know, Russia leaves uh, Ukraine back to its 1991 borders. Uh, but, but ultimately, probably you're going to need a breakup of the Russian Federation. Um, since the Prigozhin coup uh, several months ago, this is, you know, people used to think it was a crazy idea, but we, we, we can see some weakenings uh, within uh, Russian uh, high society. But the problem is, is that it seems that in the West we're not taking advantage of those weak, uh, those weak spots, uh, and, and, and that's a big concern here. But just to reiterate, uh, yeah, uh, uh, air cover, but also, crucially, as we've seen, the long-range missiles and, most importantly, permission to use them. The United Kingdom has done that. Uh, if the U.S. offered that uh, to, to Ukraine, uh, I think, you know, much more quickly uh, uh, we, we could put an end to this. As, as we're starting to see now, I mean, I, I was in Kharkiv uh, in uh, much of August and September, and it was terrifying. Well, I mean, we came under uh, – some days we had uh, uh, attacks in the morning and in the evening, and about five missiles for each attack. And I mean, even, even as I talk to you about it, I can still feel – I can feel the sensation of those missiles hitting nearby. Uh, but since Ukraine has, has been able to uh, hit the, those Russian sh- ships, that has not happened. Uh, in the same way, and, uh, and, and this is the story that we need to remind Washington that, you know, if you pour on the weapons, it is possible to, uh, to, to get victory. Mm-hmm. Speaking of political leadership in Washington, I want to ask you this one more question, then I'll send it over to Catherine. 
Is there great interest in Ukraine concerning the 2024 presidential election in the U.S., especially when we consider that the two candidates are probably going to be Biden and Donald Trump? Uh, absolutely, Tim. I mean, there, there, there's concern about it. Uh, you know, on a, on a basic level, uh, Ukrainians love, love America. Uh, and, uh, and, and I mean, they, before this, they, they loved America. In fact, every American I know who comes here to volunteer, especially veterans of Afghanistan and Iraq, they feel that this is even more American. I mean, it's a country of family values and total freedom of speech. It's sort of what we're pining for in America, and I think we've lost in many ways. Uh, Ukraine does that so well. And this part of the story gets missed because when, B, when the BBC and Reuters come here, you know, those elite reporters are not part of that world that really appreciates freedom uh, like you're at regular Americans. So that story doesn't get told. And Russian propaganda tries to hide it, and they do it very well. They, they're convincing Americans that Russia is this peaceful, free, family-valued society. Uh, but really, you see that throughout Ukraine. And so there's a great solidarity or a great uh, respect for America uh, and I, I, but th- yeah, pe- people are quite concerned about, uh, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen with the U.S. election. And, uh, and it's because it, they, they know that no one for a second tier wants to, is going to surrender. Um, but 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 they don't want they'd rather they'd rather win than, than, than die, you know. Uh, and so uh, they, and, they, and they know that, yes, American support uh, is absolutely needed. I mean, the, support from uh, Europe and, again, the U.K. with those long-range weapons, but from the United States. I mean, look, the U.S. gave uh, just 24 HIMARS, uh, the high-mobility rocket launchers, to Ukraine. And, and before those HIMARS arrived, uh, in June 2022, one city in Donbass was falling into Russian hands every week. And the next city that was due to fall was Bakhmut. But then the HIMARS arrived, and, and Bakhmut didn't fall for eight months. Those HIMARS made an amazing difference. But to, to show how effective they were, uh, Poland, uh, about a month ago, agreed, uh, with, made a deal with the U.S. to purchase 486 HIMARS for themselves. Poland is much smaller than Ukraine. It's not at war. And they're going to they're gonna give the United States $10 billion uh, for, for these HIMARS. Uh, Ukraine only got only 20 and has been holding on, uh, fighting you know, very bloody battles with simply 20 HIMARS. And, and Poland, uh, you know, it's like the best free sample you could imagine. Uh, give away 20 and make $10 billion out of it. And so actually, and, and this is what, get, what gets missed in the, the rhetoric in America, uh, you, the U.S. is benefiting uh, immensely from this, not only in a security way, but also financially. And uh, whenever, you know, the, the Biden administration in that Washington way, like any politician, left or right, oh, they say, oh, we spent money. Like, like, and, you know, like that's, you, you just talk about how much money you spend. Uh, and that makes you sound better. But we've not actually spent billions. You know, much of that money is a valuation of old equipment that, that was paid for a long time ago. And actually, as we see with that HIMARS story, it actually is a great investment for the U.S. And this is getting totally missed uh, in the left and the right uh, in the election rhetoric. Wow. With that, I thank you, sir. And I'm going to send it over to Catherine now. Catherine? Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Our this evening, whatever the time may be where you are. Um, I honestly, I don't have any questions. I'm just riveted by your reporting and your courage to be there and the stories of the Ukrainian people. It's very, um, it gives us a whole new 
sort of perspective on what's happening there. And I appreciate that so much. And so thank you very much. And I'm going to pass it to David because he may have some more questions for you. I really appreciate uh, Kathy, you being Kathy, here. Th- th- thank you for that. You know, and that reminds me that uh, a few weeks ago I was in a village in the Kharkiv region that had been liberated. So the Russians occupied it for many months. And I was speaking with a woman who uh, all, all the villagers there, they had to demine their own plots of land, their own gardens. Uh, they, they, I, don't know, I, I don't know if they looked it up on YouTube. They had to figure it out on their own. They had to get rid of the mines uh, so that they could get back to work and start selling their vegetables, uh, which they sell out to restaurants in Kharkiv City. And I was talking with one of these women uh, in the village, and she was smiling and cheerful, and she took us into her house, which my friends were helping to rebuild. And it's so much like the scenes of what we saw from Israel uh, a week ago. Uh, in the house, you could still see painted in red uh, Russian graffiti from the soldiers saying, death to Ukrainians, just like we saw in Israel. It's a death to the Jews. Uh, and it was so chilling, the, the, the parallels. And then the woman who's smiling and, and cheerful, she had a flower in her hair, and, and she tells me how when she came back to her house, she found the body of one of her sons uh, who was murdered by the Russians. And she took me to his grave. Uh, where she had these flowers beautifully arrayed upon it. And, and, and this level of inhumanity uh, for, from the enemy here is, uh, you know, both you, you, in that story you see both the inhumanity, but then the amazing uh, resilience of the Ukrainians. And, and this woman standing next to her son's grave, which she, she buried him herself, uh, she was smiling and saying, we will not lose because we believe in freedom. Uh, and, and that's the strongest virtue. Uh, and so, so that's, that's the spirit I see every day in this country. It's remarkable and uh, so great that you're there to tell these stories. It's, it's, it's really amazing. So thank you. And I'm going to pass you. it to David. Thanks, David. Yes. Well, Joe, we know that, like I said at the top of the show, you're the person that's been there before this started and been there every day since this started as an American journalist. So that gives you that unique perspective. Um, you, you were doing, and you may still be doing, um, weekly reports on Chicago radio, WGN. But you've actually started, I guess, a show. And we know a show can mean many things now because we have such video capabilities worldwide. But tell us about your show and how our listeners can um, find it. Uh, thanks, David. Well, if you go to ukrainianfreedomnews.com, you can see all of our various projects. Uh, we also work to get supplies to our, our friends at the front lines. Uh, but uh, every single day, Monday through Friday, without break since February 2022, uh, I speak on Chicago's WGN Radio for 10 minutes. Uh, you can watch video versions uh, of shows uh, on YouTube. All the links are at ukrainianfreedomnews.com. Uh, and then uh, with uh, legendary Ukrainian independent media, and by the way, there's still free, uh, a free press in Ukraine that criticizes the government routinely to keep them honest. Uh, that gets missed a lot. Uh, but with uh, Ukrainian media, Ukrinska Pravda, Ukrainian Truth, we started a new show uh, in English called Land of the Free. And uh, my goal is to, I want uh, every American who comes here is inspired by the conversations they have uh, with Ukrainians and foreigners alike. And so I want to share those with Americans. Uh, and so uh, you can find uh, the first episode, which actually was with the chief rabbi of Ukraine, Moshe Osman, who's currently helping in Israel. Uh, it was kind of good timing, uh, despite these tragedies, to have that conversation because he's a guy who he's born in Russia. Uh, he's, been, he's been a hero here in Ukraine. He's come under Russian shelling. Uh, he's been warning the Israelis that they needed to support Ukraine because 
Russia and Iran are allies. Uh, and so you can listen to his, uh, his wisdom uh, if you go to ukrainianfreedomnews.com uh, with the first episode of Land of the Free. Yes, we hope, we'll plan on looking at it and hope our listeners do too. Um, Joe, uh, just keep up the great work, stay safe, and we can't wait for the day to have you back on when we talk about how this war in, uh, ended and Ukraine gained its uh, peace and freedom once and for all. I look forward to that day as well. Thank you all for the conversation. Thank you so yes, much. Sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, goodbye from Keith. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, that was Joe Lindsley reporting from Kiev, Ukraine. Um, he is uh, Ukrainian Freedom News, and um, you can find him on social media as well. I think he's somewhat active on Twitter, really active on LinkedIn, um, which, uh, you know, a lot of political content, which is not really appropriate for LinkedIn. But what he shares is the kind of thing that most people get behind and kind of brings people together because most you know, people that love freedom in the world are supporting Ukraine. We know there are a few that aren't, um, and those are the kind of people that in many ways are kind of unserious to me. But let's get back to our discussion as we kind of have just a few minutes left in the show, and it's kind of time to make predictions on what might happen. And sometimes it's pretty clear we can take a decisive side. I don't know that anyone can do that this week. Um, Tim, this time next week, where, where do you think we'll be? I won't even make you predict the, the fine landing. Just next Sunday when we come on the show at our regular time with Craig Pittman, uh, where will we stand with the House of Representatives? I have no earthly idea, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm not, I, not going to say that, that I do because it, it would not be true. I just don't see where they're going to find somebody this is going to get 217 votes uh, and and especially make a, a lot of these folks come to their senses. It's like they're having a circular firing squad, and um, I, 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 I don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to do it, but I am going to predict at, at, that there's not going to be some grand deal with the Democrats. I could see a deal where maybe 10 or 15 Democrats come over and vote with with most of the Republicans, but I see no deal where most or all of the Democrats get together with a little handful of Republicans and elect a Republican speaker, and the rest of the Republican House goes along with that. I, I, I do not see that happening at all. And, you know, that, I, that wasn't much that I gave you, but uh, I, I, I just don't know, and I don't, I don't know how they're going to figure their way out of this thing. Well, Tim, the reason you weren't giving us much is because the, the Republicans that have the majority in Congress aren't giving the American people much, um, and that <laughs> yeah. hand in hand. Uh, Catherine, your prediction on where we'll be, I guess, technically eight days from now. I'm with him. I really don't see the, I don't see the pathway to any uh, solution uh, quick. I don't see any. I, I'm not sure how they're. I mean, I, I'd I'd love to hear what their conversations are about and how they're talking about this because I don't see, especially with the election looming, I don't see how they're going to do anything without sacrificing. Uh, you know, 
uh, incumbent representative. Yeah, I, I, I'm, um, it, that is a point I'll make, I guess, in my prediction time. Um, it's kind of like, remember the Rocky Three movie, What's Your Prediction, Clever Lang? And he said pain. I guess this is pain for the American people, but mainly chaos. And I do think we'll have some more chaos. Uh, just this morning, um, Political Wire mentioned that if Jim Jordan does not get secure enough votes, that Mike Johnson, never really heard much about him from Louisiana, is uh, now going to seek the speakership. I don't think he's going to be the, the man on the white well, horse well, and do this either. Yes, Jim. Look, look, well, let, let, let's look at where we are this morning. Uh, the, all this stuff that we were talking about that just happened, happened on Thursday. What happened after that? They adjourned and went home. They're all at home this weekend. They're not, they're not, you, you would think they would be in session. You would think that they would be, you know, but I, I don't think they know any more about what to do than we do, and we're not there. Don't you think that's probably the case? Oh, I definitely think it's the case. Now, one thing I will, before I make a prediction, I want to, I want to talk about is the idea that some of these – if there's a deal towards the middle of the House of Representatives, that it somehow hurts the people on the far right. I don't think it does because I th- if you look at the crazy caucus – um, Marjorie Taylor Greene can come up here, and she can run against Mike Lawler and Don Bacon as quickly as she can run against Marcus Flowers. Down on the panhandle uh-huh. in Florida, Matt Gates can run against those same two people. He can talk about them. They don't know anything. They're from New York. They're from, you know, cities, wherever he wants to say. And, and they, they can throw those people under the bus if they were to make a deal, so that's not going to hurt them. The one person I guess it could possibly hurt is like a Lauren Boebert because her district is actually um, more to the middle I mean, she's actually in some election peril, although she's been relatively quiet. I guess after her scene at Beetlejuice, um, she's trying to lower her profile. <laughs> but, um, you know, so that is one thing to think about. Here's what I think. If, if we reach some kind of deal, I do think the most likely thing that happens is somehow they punt this thing down the field for 15 days at a time. They, you know, put Patrick McHenry in, and the Democrats help with that, and they get a bill to – fund the war in Ukraine, fund the war in Israel, and then also extend the budget out. I think it's till April, the November 17th budget deadline. So they get that put together, and they take care of those three major things. And then do we still have a long-term speaker about eight days from now? I don't think so either. I think that's like most realistic best-case scenario is that say they somehow get Patrick McHenry in to do those basic functional things of funding our government and well, then those two war efforts. You know, right so now can, under House rules, right now under House rules, McHenry has the power to do one thing, preside over the election of a new speaker, and to gavel the House in and out, which which he does, has done several times in the past week. They would have to change the House rules for him to be able to do more. A majority of the House, of course, would have to vote to for that to happen. Here's where that might go off the rails. The fact that a handful of Democrats 
say, yeah, we'll vote for that. And then all of a sudden, here's all these Republicans. Oh, no, we can't work with Democrats. We can't. I, that's that's where I'm stuck, David. You might see a scenario where Democrats can work with Republicans, and 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 I just don't. I, I think there's enough Republicans that just will not allow that to occur. Right. I, I just right. That's what I think. I, well, but but here here's the trick. You have 212 Democrats. You have 18 Democrats that are um, in, in districts that. You know, voted for Joe Biden. That gets you a majority. Also, you have some more representatives that do know that you have to do some basic things just because you're sent there to do it. And so because there's probably a lot of these people we haven't heard from that are more rational figures. And so that's where I don't think you're, you're not going to get all these people, we, you know, that will knock you over to get to the microphone and television camera. Those folks are never going to come around Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, Adam, uh, um, Matt Gates, all those folks. It's the other more rational, low-key members that will be the ones that made something like this happen. And it won't be long-term. It will just be, you know, 15 days at a time, maybe just one 15-day period. But we'll know more in eight days. And next <laughs> Sunday we'll be back at our regular time. And Craig Pittman, one of our longtime friends of the show, is going to come on. And we're going to talk to Craig about – the series in Vox Media called The United States of Florida, they looked at all kinds of political and cultural things going on in Florida. We're going to talk to Craig about that. Also, Florida's governor said that Florida was the Utah of the South, and Craig is a lifetime Floridian. He's going, to, he's going to tell us. I don't know how much he's been to Utah, but he's going to tell us how Florida and Utah are alike because I think to the average observer, we wouldn't necessarily see that, if you will. But that'll be next week on the Cozy Vine. Good morning, guys. Good morning, everybody. Bye-bye, all. Thank you. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united...